Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Jane Goodall was the recipient of the 2021 Templeton Prize, and you may recognize her name. She's a pretty famous primatologist, and she's spent a significant part of her life living actually with some primates, particularly chimpanzees, to see how they function, how they behave, how they respond emotionally, and all of that. Uh, The Templeton Prize Uh, harnesses the power of the sciences to explore the deepest questions of the universe and humankind's place and purpose within it. That's the vision for those who receive that prize, the Templeton Prize. Last year's winner was Francis Collins. Uh, He's the director of the National Institutes of Health, who led the Human Genome Project in mapping DNA and helping us to figure out how to cure these diseases, particularly related to a person's DNA. Uh, Chuck Colson received the award back in 1993. Uh, Chuck was in the Nixon White House, was thrown into prison a little bit for his involvement in the whole Watergate scandal uh, politically, but eventually gave his life to Christ and gave himself to serving the needs of prisoners over the whole course of his life, not only in the U.S., but around the world. He's brought transformation to prisons. Goodall is 87 years old, and she has been kind of active in sort of deconstructing the naturalistic approach that we often, in secular science, sees the world and sees it more in a spiritual kind of sense. Here's what she says, quote, more scientists are saying there's an intelligence behind the universe. That's basically what the Templeton Foundation is about. We don't live in only a materialistic world. Francis Collins drove home that in every single cell in your body, there's a code of several billion instructions. Could that be chance? No, chance mutations couldn't possibly lead to the complexity of life on earth. And then get a hold of this statement. Her last, she concludes this interview by saying this, science and religion are coming together more and more. Minds are seeing purpose behind the universe and intelligence. She actually says science and religion, from her standpoint, are actually becoming together more, and that more people are actually seeing the connection between intelligence and purpose behind the universe. Now, one thing about Goodall, if you are familiar with her work, she directly equates human beings as simply another one of sort of the animal kingdom and doesn't really see a distinction between animals and human beings. But one thing she does do is understand that the more science explains, it doesn't take faith out of the picture. Lots of people see science and faith as being on opposite ends of the spectrum and polarized. Friends, as we say here all the time at Southridge, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, many in the scientific community are actually waking up to the fact that the more things that we explore, the more complexity that we see, it doesn't remove the need for God. It only actually gives us more questions that we actually can't explain. That there really is a need for intelligence and design behind the universe that we have. 
We're in a series called Imago, and in this series, we're looking at the fact that human beings are Imago Dei. Those are two Latin words simply meaning, meaning we're made in the image of God. There's something special that makes human beings who they are as created in God's image and reflections of him. We're going to do a little bit of review this morning because it's been a while since we've uh, dug into this. And uh, then we're going to spend some time uh, at the end that uh, I think is going to be some fresh perspectives. So we're going to talk about the fact that image bearers are created. That's a uh, C, not a G. We're created. Uh, Image bearers of God are also marred. And uh, we are going to talk a little bit about that. And then lastly, image bearers are redeemed. So that's, those are the three things we're going to be talking about. Image bearers of God are created, they're marred, and they're redeemed. And we're going to be looking at the implications, the practical implications that every one of those things have for who we are. And number one, we're created. Uh, this is pretty fascinating to me and a little bit more in the science and religion realm. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, here's what the writer says. Then the Lord God formed a man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, just two things I want you to pull out. Number one, it says humanity was made out of the dust of the ground. And then secondly, it also says that we are living beings. Kind of catch those two things? Now, now listen to this verse, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, as the writer sort of again gives another recounting of the creation narrative. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. I want to catch two things. Number one, Do you ever realize that not just human beings were made out of the dust of the ground? That the animals and birds of the air, the Genesis writer says, they were made out of the dust of the ground as well. Sometimes when people point out, like, gosh, there's similarities in in the DNA, and here's some of the similarities between the animal kingdom and human beings. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, as believers in the Bible, we can kind of be defensive, say, oh, no, no, no. Actually, there is. There's a lot of correspondence between some of the DNA and some species of animals and even fruit flies and that you find in human beings. And here's the deal. That shouldn't really surprise us because God made all of the things out of the dust of the ground. Like, like that should not concern us that there's sometimes a level of DNA similarity, not complete, but sometimes a DNA similarity between other things in God's created order, that should not make us fearful. We should, don't need to be defensive about that. Scripture actually tells us that God formed human beings as well as animals out of the dust of the ground. Well, not only that, there's another similarity. Notice in 2.7, it said, and man became a living being. That word there is nephesh. When Genesis 2 talks about animals, it says, whatever the man called each living creature, that was its, that's the exact same word. Each living creature is the word nephesh. It's the same word that's used to describe the human being, Adam, as a living being earlier, which also means this. You know, sometimes we get a little nervous because, yeah, like animals sort of do have personalities, don't they? They have emotions. 
Uh, I got in trouble first service because I was saying, like, you know, dogs have emotions and maybe cats or they have personalities. But I said, like, like, like birds sort of don't have emotions, do they? Well, I actually got a corrective text on that from somebody in our congregation who studies birds. And they said, like, yes, birds do have a personality. <clears throat> Ravens and crows particularly have a significant personality. So I stand corrected. Even birds have personalities. Stuff has personalities. Like, your pet has a personality. Uh, your pet expresses probably emotions. And, 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 you know, maybe I'm getting too close to them. Maybe in your home there seems to be sometimes an uncomfortable kind of correspondence between how humans behave and how animals behave. Like maybe some even animals behave a little bit better than some human beings. Those things shouldn't surprise us because human beings and animals both are made from the ground. Human beings and animals both have nephesh, they're living creatures, they're living kind of beings, they have personalities, they have emotions, all of those things as followers of Jesus and believers in the Bible, we're good with. And so when people talk about the emotional responses of chimpanzees or apes or monkeys and maybe how they demonstrate some human kinds of behaviors, that's all good because God created all of that stuff and they're living creatures. What's distinct is simply this. In Genesis chapter 1, 26, God says something that's about human beings, the way they're made, that's totally different from the way any other part of his created order is made. He says, then God said, let us make mankind, humanity, in our image, in our likeness, so that they rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You see, the uniqueness of human beings is not necessarily... You know, that we are so distinct emotionally or maybe psychologically or whatever. The fact that it matters, we are made in the image of God. God has placed in humans and in only humans something of himself that directly reflects the creator. We have a sense of moral compass within our beings. We have a sense of purposefulness and a sense of destiny to our actions. We have a sense of, of awareness and self-consciousness, not only of ourselves, but our creator. And, and the writer of scripture says that alone is, that's unique to human beings. Human beings alone have that. And so, you know, sometimes, again, we can get a little nervous when maybe DNA similarities or correspondences pointed out, or emotional responses, or some other kind of intelligent interaction. All of that stuff is fine, but it's human beings alone who are made in the image of God. Human beings are unique. And here's the deal, friends. That actually solves a pretty significant cultural problem that we have. Uh, here's our cultural problem. Our cultural problem is that generally, in our modern-day culture, we value people not based on simply who they are as a human being, but they are valued and they are validated based on whether or not they're part of our tribe. Now, our tribe has a certain set of beliefs, and our tribe has certain positions, and maybe our tribe has some other kind of a behavioral identity. The challenge in our modern culture is you are either in or out. You're either enemy or not. 
not based on whether you're a human being that God created, which all human beings are, but on whether or not you can affirm and validate my tribe. And if you don't validate my tribe, if you don't validate my stuff, what I believe, if you don't affirm my position, then you're devalued. And so believing this actually solves a major cultural challenge that we have. Let's just give you a couple of illustrations of that. I didn't get to read this article personally. Generally, I do like to do that. But I was reading somebody who quoted this article and made mention of it. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times by an opinion writer several weeks ago that mentioned the violent anti-Semitic attacks in the U.S. And the person said those attacks on the Jewish people, the, the, um, those anti-Semitic attacks were a problem, not because people were being attacked, but because those attacks made it more politically difficult to criticize Israel. See what happens there? The attacks against people were a problem, not because those who are attacked are image bearers of God, but because those who are attacked, that makes it harder for my tribe to criticize Israel. See what happens there? When you don't place value on a person simply based on who they are, then they become a means or not to fulfilling or justifying your end. A couple others. You know, as followers of Jesus, we obviously believe in the scriptures. And we mentioned this here at Southridge a number of times. You know, one thing that is of concern to us is the just significant levels of persecution that's happening to Muslims in China becoming an international conversation, particularly with the Olympics, and you may have heard some of that. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're not just concerned about our tribe and protecting our tribe. No, as followers of Jesus, we think every human being, whether they're Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, it doesn't matter that they are made in the image of God, and therefore they have value and worth. And so we love and we care for people outside of our tribe, outside of our Christian circle. We care that Muslims in China are being put in concentration camps or re-education camps and are be, being treated harshly and severely. Why do we care? Because every person's made in the image of God, and it doesn't matter whether or not they're part of our tribe or not. See, this solves a cultural issue. Uh, about a week or so ago, an organization that's very conservative politically in nature uh, put out an article. And in the article, the writer who himself has wrestled with a pretty significant stuttering problem in his life mentioned that Joe Biden, from a very young age, had really significant challenges with stuttering. Uh, some people kind of attribute his, you know, misstatements or misguided words or fumbled words to potential dementia. That might be the case. I'm not sure. But one thing that we do know is that he has had a significant issue with stuttering all of his life. And when you have that issue, you often become tongue-tied. You become locked in a moment. Sometimes you deviate and you have a non sequitur, it doesn't really connect with what you just said. You fumble over words. And it's writer was simply saying that, that whatever his political positions are, and this writer in particular said, like, I can't really agree with hardly any of his political positions. The fact of the matter is he's still made in the image of God, and he shouldn't be simply the, 
the focus of jokes and made fun of because of his speech impediments. And I heard the president of the organization speak later on. He said, he said you wouldn't believe the amount of hate email we got. Not from validating anybody's political positions, but simply by saying, this person is made in the image of God, and he's had a challenge with stuttering, and therefore deserves simply just understanding. And he's battled hard through challenges with his speech. The same could be true of said of President Trump. There were certainly those that, like, because of his political position, therefore I'm an enemy of all who he is and anything that he says. Friends, this issue solves a cultural problem. We love people based on the fact that they're made in the image of God, and every person is. Now, hear me clearly. Listen to this well. Accepting all people does not look like affirming all behaviors. Loving all people does not look like condoning all beliefs. We are not to condemn people, but we cannot commend all actions and behaviors. Every person is sacred, but that does not mean that we sanction all behaviors. You hear that? Just because somebody is loved does not necessarily mean every part of their behavior needs to be condoned. Accepting people does not look like affirming everything that they do. People are made, every single person is made in the image of God. Whether they're rich or poor, whether they're educated or uneducated, every single person is made in the image of God. You know, just uh, outside of my house, they're uh, over on Quakertown, they're actually putting in storm drains in the street and that kind of thing. And they're going to pave the whole thing and they're putting in curbing and all that kind of stuff. And so just the, uh, once in a while, actually probably two or three times, I've, I've literally gone outside of my house just to kind of like hang out a little bit with the flag man. Uh, and it's kind of interesting, like walking up to them because as soon as I see you approaching, like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to get yelled at again. And like, oh my God, like what's common? Some neighbor's mad. Somebody's ticked off. And like I've literally probably three different times just going out and like hung out. Like, hey, what's your name? Like, where are you from? Most of them are from like Piscataway or Newark or somewhere around there. Like, how are you doing? And like, we literally chat and talk and hang out. And it's just fascinating to me what it looks like just to acknowledge, wow, somebody else is made in the image of God. And whether they have this job or that job or this profile or that profile, every single person is deserving of love and respect simply because they're made in the image of God. Friends, this solves a massive cultural problem that we have. And my prayer is that we at Southridge, man, that we would be people. Yeah, we don't condone all beliefs, but we love the person. We don't affirm all behaviors, but we want to accept every person. We don't want to commend all actions, but we don't condemn people. Uh, We don't sanction all behaviors, but we really do believe every person is sacred. Wouldn't that be amazing if we just could live that truth out? It would be transformational in our culture to actually love people based on who they are as image bearers of God and not simply put a fence up as to whether or not they validate our particular tribe, our particular position, our particular party or whatever. Image bearers are created. Secondly, image bearers are marred. We won't take too much time on this because we want to take time on the, uh, the third one down here mostly. Image bearers are marred. Here's the deal, friends. Uh, picture up here a mirror. 
And that's often what I have when I talk about the image of God and we reflect God's image. I often kind of visually picture a mirror. So, you know, perfect mirror, you stand in front of it, and I don't really have an occasion to much on a morning because you can't really do much with what's there. But imagine you're standing in front of a mirror. It gives you a reflection of yourself. And that mirror is, is, is shiny. There's not dust on it. And it just reflects back who you are. That's how God created us to be, to reflect the God of the universe, to reflect the creator so that we're faithful as he is faithful, that we love others as he loves others, that we speak truth as he speaks truth, as we serve others as God serves. That's what it means to be a reflection of Jesus. Now, imagine this mirror, a rock thrown in it, and suddenly that mirror is shattered. There's chunks out of it. It's splintered. And that mirror no longer actually gives a great reflection of what's in front of it. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That image is damaged, but it's not deleted. That image is disordered, but it's not destroyed. That's exactly what we see in humanity. Every one of us... I don't care, the most evil person in the world still is made in the image of God. The image of God is never deleted. It's never destroyed. It's part of who God has made us to be, but it can be damaged. It can be disordered. It can be distorted. And that's what happens when sin impacts our lives. Just maybe one quick thought here. Uh, One thing that's fascinating to me is... uh, there's a couple words that show up in Jeremiah chapter 4. Let me kind of give the context to this. In Jeremiah chapter 4, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. God has kind of set apart the nation of Israel to reflect his presence in the world. And so they're supposed to treat other neighboring civilizations around them as God would treat them. They're supposed to picture justice as God would show justice, fairness as God shows fairness, concern for the poor as God shows concern for the poor. And they're supposed to worship God and love him. And through that, they love other people. And God is like, man, like you guys are failing miserably at worshiping me. You're failing miserably at, at representing me in the world. Here's what Jeremiah chapter four, verses 23 to 25 say. And I'll take a little break in the middle of it. But, but when I read these words, What other scripture passage comes to mind? I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty. That kind of gives you a little bit of, maybe tweak some things. And at the heavens, and their light was gone. Remember any scripture passage that talks about God creating light? I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked, and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. Remember any scripture passage that talks about like a place before there were birds? I looked and the fruitful land was a desert and all its towns lay in ruin. You know what's fascinating? As Jeremiah talks to the people of Israel, he uses language that takes us all the way back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 before God created. In other words, what he's saying is this, sin, evil, separation from God uncreates us. It mars us. 
We often think sin like kind of holds us back from really reveling in human life as it's made to be. That, that sin kind of is sort of the pathway to full enjoyment of the human experience. That God is sort of constricting in what he says, when in actuality it's the opposite. Sin and evil actually bring uncreation and distortion into our lives. They distort who we are. It doesn't fulfill who we are. Now, just real quick, just a couple things from that. Number one, that should enable us to be both humble and honest. Humble and honest. Uh, humble in this sense. Last week, Pete Goddard was here and shared about his story with addiction. The fact of the matter is, friends, listen to this. Every one of us are marred. We could go around this room. And every one of us have stories of being marred. Maybe marred by the evil actions of someone around us. Marred by our own dark and evil heart. Every one of us is marred. We're marred by greed. We're marred by bitterness. We're marred by lust. We're marred by self-centeredness. And so this idea that, yes, we're still creating the image of God. It's not destroyed. It's not deleted, but it is distorted. It means that we can be humble. We can say, yeah, like my life is marred. I don't live up to who I'm supposed to be. Sin uncreates me. It starts to unravel my life. It, it mars me. And so sometimes when I interact and I, I, I don't treat people in a way that honors God, because how I reflect my creator is marred. And sometimes pride seeps out of me and anger and bitterness or jealousy. It's just like mars who I am. And so just this enables all of us to simply say, yeah, like we can be humble. We're marred. We've got stories that are broken. It also enables us to be honest. You know, sometimes, especially this last year, there's been some you know, pretty big name followers of Jesus that have disappointed, that have fallen, if you will. And rather than saying, oh, like that doesn't happen or kind of distance, we can say, yeah, like, yeah. You know, sometimes followers of Jesus, we're messed up too. Sometimes followers of Jesus give way to sin and evil and darkness in their lives. Why? Because everyone is made in the image of God, but every single person that walks planet earth is marred as well. And so we don't have to be defensive. We don't have to like not speak what's true in hopes of hoping that somebody doesn't find out what's true and then they'll think better of us or better. So like, no, we can just be fully humble and fully honest. You're marred. I'm marred. I know followers of Jesus who are marred. Maybe even in this room, you kind of had an interaction with somebody who claimed the name of Jesus and it was just Man, they were belittling or condescending or hateful or, you know, like, how does that work? And we can be honest, like, yeah, that, the good chance that might have happened because we're all marred. We can be humble and we can be honest. Last thing, image bearers are redeemed. Image bearers can be redeemed. Just want to spend a couple minutes on this. This is, is pretty cool. From Genesis 1, we know that the whole trinity is at work in the creation of God. Uh, it says in Genesis 1-2, now the earth was 
formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right in Genesis 1, you have God who initiates creation. You have him speaking, which in John chapter 1 we find out is the word, is Jesus, the person of Jesus. You have the Spirit hovering over the waters. And by the way, just a note, every place that God is mentioned in the Bible with a pronoun, it's always a masculine pronoun. Jesus came as a man, and so that's absolutely true. There's masculine pronouns, Jesus came as a man. But there's many, many images in the Bible that also focus on sort of the more feminine qualities of God as well. Uh, God creates male and female to adequately portray his nature and his character, and so it takes the characteristics of both. And here, right out of the chute, first couple lines of the whole Bible, the idea of a bird fluttering above the waters is kind of like a bird fluttering over her young. It's a very kind of like a female image of God. The Trinity is at work in creation. In Genesis chapter 8, 1, God destroys the earth with a flood. And his purpose is to eliminate evil and to begin kind of almost a a new kind of creation for the earth to to kind of be reborn. It says in verse 1, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. He sent wind over the earth. That word wind there was actually the same word. It's translated spirit other places. And so it seems like once again, there's, there's wind to dry the earth, but that wind is also kind of reminiscent of God's spirit blowing new life into the world that had just been destroyed by a flood. It shouldn't surprise us that we come to the Gospels. Jesus is having a conversation with a religious leader. This religious leader named Nicodemus, he's kind of got all of his I's dotted and all of his T's crossed. And he says, says to Jesus, like, come on, what else do I need to do? Like, I followed the whole law. I'm, I'm like at the top of the ladder. Like, I'm good, man. I'm religious like I should be. I behave like I should. And, and here's what Jesus says in John chapter 3. Jesus answered, listen to this. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, listen to this, unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. Jesus says, time out. Nicodemus, you're marred. Your image of God that you're created is marred beyond your ability to self-create it. You can't just do more religion. You can't just do more stuff. You need, he says, you need to be born of water and of the spirit. Water probably referring to the fact that Jesus brings cleansing. The picture of being forgiven and cleansed through the washing of Jesus and of the Spirit. Nicodemus, it's a work of God's Spirit. The work of God's Spirit hovered over creation in the beginning. It brought creation to life. The Spirit of God is involved in the restoring and rebirth of life on the planet after the flood of Noah. And Jesus comes up, and as we've said all along, God's purpose is not to save us from our humanity. It's actually to save us into it. Jesus I am here to redeem image bearers of God, and it's going to take the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, friends, my prayer is that we at Southridge would be in tune to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think of it this way. If you can picture a car all filled with gas, all the systems are good. It actually takes a living being to get into the car and cause all of the systems of that car to come to life. 
Like all the mechanical systems, all the electronical systems, all of that stuff. It's like somebody climbing into the car and then it comes to life. It's exactly the case with the Holy Spirit. So it's more than just what's in our head. It's more than just cramming content into our brain. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes the life of God come alive in our lives. Now, maybe that feels a little bit abstract, but let me just kind of give you a couple of thoughts about that. Ideas of how that's worked in my life and maybe some of the lives of others. You know, like many of you, we have a a group here at church that talks about... um, the importance of spending personal time with God. And often the way to make that especially meaningful is to write something down. And so right now I'm reading through the book of Genesis. And this week, one of the things that I write in my notebook, I wrote Genesis chapter 17, one, actually write the whole verse out by hand. It says this, it's talking about Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And I was just in a space when I read that verse this week that, man, it was a Holy Spirit thing. It wasn't any new revelation. It was like, Nathan, man, God's God Almighty. You're not. Simplify life. Walk before God and be blameless. And I wrote that verse. It was just the Holy Spirit, just like, man, like that's what I need not in charge of the universe, don't run everything, don't control everything. God's God Almighty. Nathan, your job description is really small. Walk before God, be faithful and blameless. This is like the Holy Spirit was like, man, like that wasn't just words on a page, something that like grasped my heart. You know, I've interacted with a number of people that have lost and hardship in our congregation, both this week and other weeks. And often when I talk to them, so, yeah, it's been a really hard loss. But I also just sense the presence of God. In other words, my loss, yeah, it's, it's dark and it's huge. But it's not this big rock that I, it's, it's crushing me. Instead, I have an awareness that God is with me. I have an awareness that the loss is actually only a shadow. And the actual reality is God is present with me. His love is still here. And there's life beyond. It's the Holy Spirit, friends. It's the Holy Spirit taking a truth of Scripture and applying it to that life. Had another conversation this week and was talking with a young woman and she was saying, yeah, one thing that God has done in my life is that she said before, I feel like I used to kind of view people in a 2D kind of way. They were just like them. They're just like bodies and flesh. And she said, more and more, I'm beginning to see people more in 3D. Like I, I see the story behind them. I see the story that's living in them. I see the things that has, have impacted their lives. I've seen how they're shaped. I see how kind of what drives them isn't just kind of like behavioral stuff, but heart stuff. That that sometimes wounds drive people. Wounds cause them to respond in a certain way. So I just, I'm seeing people more in a 3D way. That's, That's the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit enables you not just to see somebody on the surface level, but actually to see the story behind the story. We're talking to somebody else and just talking about a possible job transition, like praying, like, God, if this is your will, and, you know, point the way, and just kind of the moment of realization that, wow, like, maybe even in praying that, like, I was think, I thought I was praying God's will, but maybe it was kind of like praying some of my will in there as well. It's a Holy Spirit moment. It's a Holy Spirit causing the truth of God to become alive and animated in our lives. Listen, friends, the last thing we want to be at Southridge is simply information and content delivery. Give the Holy Spirit space. Give the Holy Spirit room to cause his truth to be active and alive in your life. You know, Olivia earlier was talking about some opportunities for serving in kids and student ministries. And as a staff, we spend some time talking these days about like reopening and ministry starting up. And, you know, we also sense that there's, there's tiredness, there's weariness. And kind of the last thing that we want to do is say, hey, everybody, let's, let's fire up the ministry machine. Let's all get busy again. No, we don't need that. We don't simply need the machines of ministry running again. We need to, with God's Holy Spirit, love and serve others. We need to, with God's Holy Spirit, be empowered to be present with one another. It's not simply getting old schedules up and running. It's not simply getting the machine to crank out ministry. Say, God, may you use these programs that are in place as places for the Holy Spirit to become alive in people's lives. I took some time to simply write these thoughts down. Our Sunday services need to be animated by God's Spirit. Our worship and our prayer need to be animated by God's Spirit. Our fellowship, our loving of one another need to be animated by God's Spirit. Our financial giving, our singing need to be animated by God's Spirit. Our imaginations, our work needs to be animated by God's Spirit. Our pleasure needs to be animated by God's Spirit. I'm going to ask our team to come up and they're going to lead us in a song to close. But here's the deal. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the original creation. Most of the time, it takes time for God's Spirit to work. And sometimes the reason that we don't sense God's Spirit in our lives is because we don't simply allow time for God's Spirit to hover over us. We don't have the space, the thoughtfulness, the reflection, the mindfulness, the awareness. You see, God's Spirit can do anything. But from beginning to end throughout Scripture, you find a, a kind of a hovering nature of God's Spirit. That there's space, there's time, there's being in His presence, there's receiving 
So we're going to close our service with the song that simply invites the Holy Spirit into this place. Let me ask you this question. What would, it ha- what would, what would happen if you and I lived every moment of your God-given humanity the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Like, what would that look like? What would it look like if you lived every moment of your God-given humanity? of your God-given image of God in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit were constantly breathing into you the truth of Jesus, the truth of you being loved, of being forgiven, of being righteous in God's sight, of being his handiwork to serve other people, what would that look like if every moment of your God-given humanity was infused with mindfulness of God's Holy Spirit? It would change your life would change our church would change our world not by trying harder not by getting our ministry machines cranked out again but by living in God's spirit so I'm going to just ask you to remain seated and if the team wants you to stand at any time during the song they can but just kind of want to give you time and space just let God's spirit hover over your life to invite that to be in a space and place of his presence there's nothing worth more I will ever come close Nothing can compare You're our living hope Your presence, Lord I've tasted and seen Of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come flood this place and feel the Thank you.
creation is not possible without the work of your spirit just as your Holy Spirit helped in creating the original creation may your Holy Spirit do your redeeming creating work in us May we, may we learn to be still enough that your Holy Spirit can hover over us. May we give your Holy Spirit space and time. May your Holy Spirit animate 
our consciences to make us more sensitive to our own sin. May your Holy Spirit animate the gift of being God's sons and daughters through Jesus. May your Holy Spirit animate the fact that we are declared righteous. May your Holy Spirit awaken us that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Thank you that it's not simply information or content or getting the machines and routines up and running. It's about your Holy Spirit changing us, shaping us, forming us. May we love others as image bearers of God. May we serve you with who you've made us to be. May all of that flow from the work of your Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we ask it. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, our prayer team is down here to the right. Our team is going to continue to sing that song over you as you leave. So just kind of like keeping, like leaving that space of the Holy Spirit. God bless. Have a wonderful day.